You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talibman, and Imran Akram. We're here live, coming to you from our South London studios. And uh, what are you feeling today? How are you feeling it? Good, alhamdulillah. Ready? All prayers belong to God. And uh, definitely, uh, I think um, we have a sign of coming uh, summers. So yeah. I'm very excited about summers and, you know, uh, all the flowers and, you know, um, good weather. So I'm yeah. looking forward to the summers. Yeah, uh, I think you jumped one season there. I think spring maybe. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> but yes, yeah, no, sure, I know what sure. you mean because yeah. like uh, at the top of my road, uh, yeah. you can always tell the start of spring mm-hmm. uh, because the daffodils start coming yeah. up, yes. right? So mm-hmm. And it seems to be milder now. Mm-hmm. Uh, days seem to be slightly longer. longer yes. Uh, so yes, let's hope that we're in for... Um, yeah, we're we're into spring. Let's put yeah. it this way. Fajr is going back though. The the morning prayer and uh, you know it's yes. getting difficult to Yeah, that will be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> that will be difficult. But yeah. uh, I'm sure you know you get your blessings yes. for getting up that early to yes. do your true, namaz. True. Yeah, do your prayers. True. So uh, as usual uh, on Monday show, we normally have two topics occupying mm-hmm. our, ourselves for the hours, uh, the two hours. What uh, are our topics today? So, um, w- first hour we have uh, fathers mm-hmm. uh, forever our superheroes, and oh. we'll discuss about you know uh, what is the um, role of the father mm-hmm. um, in childcare and um, uh, in different aspects of fatherhood. And mm-hmm. then in the second hour we will discuss about atheism and oh. the lost path. Mm-hmm. So we'll discuss about. Uh, um, what is the reason why people turn to atheism and mm-hmm. what is the downside of, you know, atheism? Mm. And what is- I suppose, you know, because of the pandemic mm-hmm. and that period of time where a lot of people were isolated, you know, mm-hmm. were stuck inside, especially in this, in the UK and globally, really. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people became more spiritual, mm-hmm. uh, you know, looked uh, towards, you know, some kind of meaning towards their lives. Um, and as there, there would have been, I suppose, those who were uh, made a step towards God mm-hmm. and the Creator, and mm-hmm. those who maybe stepped away, right? right, right. So it's a kind of uh, an event, uh, the pandemic, mm-hmm. of which maybe it polarized uh, that feeling. So we'll uh, be looking at that as well, actually. Sure. I was actually reading uh, an article which says that during the pandemic, the research on the Google about mm-hmm. uh, religion and God it mm-hmm. increased, uh, you know, significantly. Yeah. So it also tells you that you know when people have a time or they you know they're mm-hmm. depressed or they feel lonely, they turn towards God. It's mm. a human nature. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <coughs> I, I remember having a discussion once with an imam and uh, saying, and, th- and this was really kind of like when I was first. Um, converting to Islam Mm -hmm. and understanding Islam and the conversation was like well you know why is it such that people regardless of religion regardless of uh, faith as such when faced with a near well a dangerous situation Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. or you know let's 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 put an example you know you're clutching on you know your fingertips Mm -hmm. right you've Mm -hmm. had an accident or you're in your fingertips uh, on a precipice something like that a life threatening event to yourself right. you call out for god right right, right? so why is that and this imam told me well how do we know that god has not actually you know put a sos mechanism mm-hmm. right in mm-hmm. your brain right so mm-hmm. that when in times of you know dire need mm-hmm. 
regardless, even if for you know the whole of your life preceding that you did not believe in a creator, you did not believe in a god, then you call out for your god to That's save you, right? It's actually remind me one of the incident which um, which is in the writing of the second caliph of the Muslim community, Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, mm-hmm. and he said one student he you know uh, bitterly argument argue uh, tried to argue that there is no God, mm-hmm. but uh, after some day uh, earthquake struck, mm-hmm. and the people who were sitting around him and uh, you know he. Um, cried it out Ram Ram because he was Hindu before then he mm-hmm. turned to in atheism Ram means God mm-hmm. so uh, you know after that uh, his uh, friends uh, was saying to him that you you're supposed to you know n- not say, say that because you don't believe in God mm-hmm. so he said uh, to the friend to the, his friends that you know at that moment I feel that there is no power but only one power can save me and mm-hmm. that is why I cried out Ram Ram <laughs> but um, I was mistakenly you know said that mm-hmm. I, I don't meant to but the actuality, the reality is that that was the only time he was um, he was uh, you know acting uh, according to his in- instincts, mm-hmm. which is the natural instinct yeah, that nature. there is yeah there is a higher being up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But we'll explore more about that once mm-hmm. we get into the second hour. God but, believe so. Yeah. So you know, looking at uh, our first topic, fathers uh, forever are superheroes. Now, recent data from the uh, Office of National Statistics here in the UK suggests that the COVID pandemic may have triggered a substantial rise in the number of stay-at-home dads uh, across the country. One in nine stay-at-home parents were fathers in 2022, compared mm-hmm. with one in 14 in 2029. So that's an increase of five mm-hmm. right, uh, out of every 10. The pandemic may also have accelerated a broader shift in the share of childcare fathers' uh, Childcare that fathers are taking on. Uh, figures suggest UK working fathers spent 65% of the time working mothers did on childcare in 2022, compared with 54% in 2014. So that's a shift, almost like 10%. Mm-hmm. Now, substantial disparities remain, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, UK mothers still form most stay-at-home parents and are more likely than fathers, uh, 35% compared to with 6% to work part-time. Nevertheless, the increase in fathers' caregiving suggests that although mothers often took on a disproportionate share of lockdown childcare, the substantial extra time many fathers spent with their children may have prompted lasting shifts mm-hmm. in our behaviour. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, in the show today, we're going to... I think what uh, Imran had already said, we're going to focus on the role of fathers nowadays uh, and the importance that Islam has given to fathers and parents as a whole in uh, in the upbringing of children. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, are there any sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, regarding this, Imran? Uh, Sure. So uh, there's actually um, Abu Darda, who's the uh, companion of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He said that the Holy Prophet stated the father is the middle of the gate gates of paradise. Mm-hmm. So keep this gate, uh, so keep this gate or lose it. So you know um, we usually hear that Islam you know emphasize that you know, one should take care of mother, mm-hmm. but this is not correct. Islam you know he, it it, it instructs his follower to take care of both parents, mm-hmm. and as in this saying we we can see, and there is another saying of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. That says the pleasure of Allah lies in the pleasure of father. 
and displeasure of Allah lies in the displeasure of Father. Mm-hmm. So you know that that really gives us uh, how much Islam emphasizes that one should obey his father, mm-hmm. and because you know Father is a, a, um, a figure in the house um, through which you can you know learn. Um, whole of your life he he, mm-hmm. he has to be an example in, in his yeah i mean family. i think we find that not just with islam but any right. any culture the father is a role model absolutely uh and unfortunately if your father is a bit of not a good role model mm-hmm. then maybe you'll find that uh, the children follow that 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 absolutely. kind of journey as well yeah absolutely. that down the wrong uh, path Absolutely. but you know we all obviously strive to be the best role models possible for our children mm-hmm. uh, now caregiving actually did increase during the pag- pandemic I mean research uh, on fathers and their families uh, is helping to answer this question about how fathers come to take on extensive or more extensive uh, child care mm-hmm. uh, adapt to different responsibilities and manage those challenges now the research from theconversation.com found that the men's care roles had proved highly durable during this period. Mm-hmm. Uh, the COVID, uh, the pandemic increased the presence of both parents. So you had two, right? right. Two, right. two, I suppose two uh, voices to listen to if you were a child, <laughs> right? Yeah. And right. normally you'd be listening to the female voice telling you what to do, uh-huh. right? And now you've got this counter uh, right. in, in the household. <laughs> so I suppose, yeah, that is a shift, isn't it? In, in itself, Imran. Absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, this resulted in a shift of responsibility towards the mother as well. Mm-hmm. And however, you know, father had uh, also increased uh, their um, caregiving responsibilities. And then pandemic caused a shift of sheer responsibility of uh, caregiving. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, parents and fathers uh, took on household duties and some uh, and house schooling as well. Mm-hmm. So caring for their uh, children uh, so extensively had transformed for the relationship with their children and often fostered an understanding of themselves as largely interchangeable uh, with their parents. Mm, with their partners, yeah, yeah. partners, yes. I mean, Allah says in the Holy Quran, uh, in chapter 17, verse 24, Thy Lord has commanded, worship number him, and show kindness to parents. If one of them or both of them attain old age with thee, never say unto them any word expressive of disgust nor reproach them, but address them with excellent speech. So all through, dotted through uh, different um, verses within the Quran, there is this recognition that uh, there should be respect and a duty towards our elders, really, and our parents. But to speak more about this, we're actually joined by our first guest of the day, uh, who is Matthew James Hemingway, uh, himself a father of three. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings be upon you, Matthew. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. I uh, as I come to yourself, and it's uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you very much. Now uh, we're talking about fathers uh, and their roles. They're changing roles, I suppose, um, shifting roles. You know, all, we're all forever superheroes. <laughs> now, in the recent uh, lockdown during the pandemic, yeah, you know, we've seen more fathers being, I suppose, more involved, right, uh, with uh, their children yeah. and childcare. I mean, what impact has this had on both? Yeah, both sets of, uh, well, both groups, yeah, whether you be a child or a parent, do you think? Uh, I, th- I think that, um, obviously, fathers uh, have been, as you've been talking about already, have been more involved uh, since the introduction of, of the, the pandemic that came along. Um, my, my personal experience was uh, when the pandemic actually started, me and my wife uh, were both still working full-time jobs, 
uh, but on rotating shifts. Uh, and what happened is those contracts ended and we were both looking for full-time work again. Um, but she managed to get the full-time work before I did. So I was mm-hmm. the one who had to stay at home um, and look after the children uh, since that point um, mm-hmm. for the last 18 months. And obviously I've done a little bit of part-time work around that as well. Uh, but it, 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 it's a big impact um, mm-hmm. for myself because obviously before I've been the main breadwinner, uh, just seeing the children after work, which is what most fathers do, I guess. Right. Um, but the <laughs> fatherhood <laughs> has changed a lot mm-hmm. um, over the last 18 months to two years because, like you've been discussing already, fathers have been around a lot more. Um, and I think it's also changed in the sense that we have more of an input into how the children behave and how the children learn, right. how we can teach the children mm-hmm. um, things that they don't get taught in school, for instance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Matthew, um, you being a father yourself, how has fatherhood evolved over the years? And, uh, you know, the difference between your childhood and your, your children? Yeah, big, uh, big difference, I would say. Um, when, when I'm 48 years old, so mm-hmm. when I was a child, mm-hmm. um, it was... The, the the traditional way of doing things. My father mm-hmm. um, would go out to work. He worked very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd often do long hours and overtime. And I generally mostly see my father um, at the weekends. And I think that was a uh, you know the same for a lot of people of my generation. Mm-hmm. Over the years, the last few generations, that that's changed a lot because fathers are tending to be able to spend more time with their kids because they jobs and employment is becoming more remote it's becoming online fathers are tending to maybe still work full-time but maybe from home mm-hmm. um and a lot, a lot of people of this latest generation uh maybe from sort of like mid-20s to to mid-30s in age are actually setting up their own businesses as well around their work so eventually they no longer have to work anymore and they just basically be <laughs> although a lot of people who do mm-hmm two to four hours of work per day on their business mm-hmm. and they're free for the rest of that time. So that's how things have changed over the last 20 years to 30 years, I would say. Mm. So you know, being a, you know, uh, what advice, Matthew, would you ha- give to you know, fathers-to-be or people planning on having children? Because I suppose mm. when you look at it, uh, like you said, you're 48 and you're a father, uh, I myself am 55 and I'm father two, uh, well, not me personally, but, you know, we've got two boys. And it is a cost, right? So given the current circumstances that we find ourselves in the UK and this cost of living crisis, increase in mortgage rates, um, increase in uh, bills, basically the whole cost of living uh, has increased dramatically, not just if we're looking like in the last five years, because it has, but even in the last couple of years. So it has to be a consideration. I mean, what's your advice to those uh, would-be fathers out there? Uh, my advice would be, um, obviously things are financially difficult for a lot of people right now across the UK, not just in the UK, but across the UK. Um my wife and I obviously do find it difficult. Maybe other people listening to the show mm-hmm. right now might be finding it difficult also. Um, the, mm-hmm. the, re- the reason I started uh, Fathers Club um, as a movement um, is just to bring 
just to, just to bring realization and recognition that you can actually start a business around working your normal job if you're a father. You don't have to mm-hmm. stick to the traditional nine to five, mm-hmm. and that's it until you retire. And especially more so in these times that we that we're talking about now, it's it's becoming more and more financially difficult. Inflation is rocketing. People are finding it hard to pay their bills and put food on the table. Mm-hmm. If you can come home and work on your own business from the six, we call it the six till ten mm-hmm. um, on the Twitter on the Twitter um, money Twitter. They call it. It's like a little community on Twitter. The six to ten is where you can make a big difference in these times, because a lot of things are moving online now, and the future for earning is going to be online for a lot of people, but more so for fathers because if you, you want to escape the nine to five, which is what we call it. Mm-hmm. You have to do something around that. You have to dedicate yourself to moving forward. Um, it, it's not like it used to be anymore, where you can just go to work Monday to Friday, bring home a weekly or a monthly salary, and pay everything. Obviously, mm-hmm. you do that. You make sure you pay everything, but you're not in these times. You're not going to have much left over, mm-hmm. so you have to do something. And it is possible because I look after my kids full time during the week, mm-hmm. uh, which. As I said before, up until two years ago, I've never done before. Mm-hmm. And it can be done. Men can do this. Mm. And I also work on my business. I build the socials. I'm building up other things as well on the side. So you can exercise. You can fit half an hour to 45 minutes exercising per day. Even if you do work, it's just about prioritizing your life, prioritizing your time, but also make sure you include your children in those things that you're doing as well because they need to know what's happening. Mm. I suppose uh, that core bit of advice then, Matthew, is really be more uh, up on your time management, really, to free yourself up to maybe possibly uh, get a kind of like a second job, uh, even look at opportunities. And even if it's not looking at opportunities, I think you said the six to ten, right? That, That time slot, at least you've got those four hours whereby you can, you know, reconnect, Right with your kids, with your with your family as as such, and yeah. you know that's that kind of time. I don't think money can actually buy um, no. because it's something which even you know when we've just touched on the subject regarding uh, fathers and their increased, I suppose, face time, right, actual personal time with their kids and with their family during because of the pandemic. Um, I suppose you know that's that, that, for for a lot of uh, fathers uh, who were brought up traditionally, uh, like you say, had that um, model of going to work, doing the nine to five, coming home, being tired, not really yeah. kind of like um, interacting with the family, mm-hmm. expecting a meal on the table, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that's mm-hmm. gone. Um, I'm sure there's still. Uh, those of us who are still kind of like think that that is the the normal model to to, to kind of like uh, carry on, but yeah, I, I think I'm agreeing with you in that sense as well. That that yeah. model is is you know well, I wouldn't say confined to history now, but it has to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I actually personally know quite a lot of men that I've, I've contacted with and I've got to know very well over on the money Twitter side of things that are in the same position as me, not necessarily not working um, and looking after the kids full-time, but during lockdown and the pandemic, they realised that only one source of income is very, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. If you're a family man and you're a father and you've got children, it rammed that point home that you really must 
have something else to fall back on. You need an emergency fund. You need some kind of passive income. If not one, maybe two. You need to look at those things because your children are relying on you to mm-hmm. not just to bring money in, like we said earlier, but to actually be there. So if you can do that and you can set something up that allows you to free up more time so you can spend more time not just with your kids but with your wife or your partner as well, then this is what people are doing now. This is the way things are going that I've noticed and that's what I'm trying to get the message out there. Mm. You don't have to stick to the traditional rules of life. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, Matthew, you t- talked that um, you have Father Club. Could you uh, tell us a bit more about your Father Club and what works is being done through that? Okay, so what's happening is I've, I've, I've been sort of building a little bit of a movement on there for maybe 18 months, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really understand where it was going and what kind of effect and impact it was going to have until about six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I basically stuck uh, to the fatherhood's brand, and it's what we call a personal brand. Mm-hmm. But it's it's mainly centering on having somewhere for fathers to talk. So I'm in the, currently in the process of building a community which uh, should be live within the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Somewhere where fathers can go, because there's nowhere, as far as I know, where fathers can go mm-hmm. and talk privately right. about everything that we just discussed and mm-hmm. maybe other things that they don't want to discuss in public. Mm-hmm. So that's where that's heading. Mm, yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. We do have so much... Um, mother-centered communities, whether they be physical, uh, like coffee mornings, uh, or online forums, but we just don't have something for the male parent, right? For the father to to offload uh, at times um, and to actually seek advice, really, because uh, although we are the role, mo- well, we are one of the role models within you know the the, the family. There's no one who really kind of like tells us exactly, or maybe. It's one of those assumptions that, oh, yeah, you know what, you, you're the father, you should know best, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Sometimes we don't, uh, and we have to admit that, and we have to have, I think we need, fathers need somewhere to go to have that point put across to them so mm. that they realize maybe where they're going wrong or maybe where they can improve mm. or maybe where they can get help from another father that maybe has experienced what they're going through and knows the outcomes. Mm, exactly i go on the golf course but uh, <laughs> matthew it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon thank you very much for joining us on the drive time show excellent thanks for having me on thank you take care great bye-bye bye-bye 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at voice of islam uk now imran some of our findings already or the you know survey data had already mm-hmm. has already shown that 65% of partnered fathers reported improved relationships with their children and 48% said that they felt more competent as a parent after lockdown so i suppose that kind of statistic reinforces the fact you know something like matthew was like saying that Absolutely. you know um we as fathers are expected to know our roles right Absolutely. but sometimes yeah. You know, we're not all endowed with the same abilities, skill set, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I do kind of cast in my mind back when the children were born, when my two boys were born, you just think, oh, my God, yeah, God's <laughs> given us these little babies. Yeah. And what are you supposed to do? I mean, you hear the advice, but actually you're the one who has to 
use that advice, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And it's very hard. I can, you know, relate to the situation because um, my sister just had a baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, because, uh, you know, of the operation, she couldn't really move. Mm-hmm. But his, her husband, uh, she don't know what to do, you know, how to hold the baby and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So I think w- for fathers as well, in the, they should have like basic training that mm-hmm. how they, you know, look after the small ones and, you know, children. One so, thing <laughs> I will say, right, I don't know if with your with your sister, uh, mm-hmm. was it, if it was a natural birth or a cesarean mm-hmm. but i i you know what i i my twin boys came by cesarean elective oh, okay. cesarean oh you do you have twins i don't know that yeah and it was a uh numbing experience i've oh. got to say right mm-hmm. um because obviously my wife didn't see what was happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i was the other side of the screen seeing mm-hmm. everything happen and um yeah you know I wouldn't I wouldn't I don't regret mm-hmm. having made that choice but it was quite a what shall I say nerve kind of like, it was nerve-wracking <laughs> I was just the blood drained from my foot <laughs> you know my body almost yeah mm. but then you know to see the you know effectively see see the you know what she was going through mm-hmm. my wife mm-hmm. that is and then to see these little feet being pulled out mm. uh of her stomach and then hearing the cries of the uh, the boys mm was just yeah amazing moment as well right true, true. so yeah these are the things that yeah i suppose is part and parcel of being a father yeah. but, but no one moment, tells you right yeah that, no one tells you That's you true. know keep calm have a cup of tea <laughs> don't worry you'll be okay but no one really tells you that Absolutely. or the, maybe they tell you that but it, it's not really enough to prepare you for the experience Absolutely. of itself Absolutely. um i mean uh you know effective forms uh you know in, in terms of um parental supervision let's say right mm-hmm. and caregiving i mean what else did the study tell us regarding that so a study also you know uh, showed that fathers um giving cares role were not you know without challenges or limitation as we talking uh, before and difficulties you know that uh, persist over the years include a tendency uh, for mothers to lead on parental decision making and nurses schools and other institutions uh, preferring to communicate with mother mm-hmm. you know very mother centered um, societies uh, uh, mm-hmm. as we were talking before and fathers also found it uh, found it difficult to integrate with mother centered communities of parents and their gender um, you know continue to be a barrier at times with the mother you know sometimes regarded as the uh, default um, caregiver and there are many obstacles to enabling m- more fathers to share childcare at least uh, uh, equally uh, with their partners or mm-hmm. to ease the challenge challenges for families mm-hmm. and uh, effective you know um, effective forms of parental you know leave that allow uh, fathers to be highly involved from the start are essential particularly uh, given what our research shows about how role can persist once established So uh regarding this um um the prophet as wife as Aisha may Allah be pleased with uh, her stated that um I did not see anyone who more um who more resembled the messenger of Allah peace and blessings of Allah be upon him in the manner of speaking than Fatima his daughter and when she came to him uh, he stood up for her made her welcome kissed her and had sit um and had her sit in his place and when the prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him came to her she stood up for him took his hand made him welcome kissed him and made him sit in her place and uh, hazrat aisha the wife of the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and writes that uh, she came uh, to him uh, during his last illness and 
he greeted her and kissed her so you know this is the relationship this is the father mm-hmm. and um, child should relationship should be that should be yeah should be yes yeah <laughs> and in terms yeah if we look at for instance you know one of the saddest things is for a parent to outlive their their child yeah. uh, child loss and you know the trials which are actually attached to you know uh someone's child yeah is 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 immense really yeah, yeah. Uh, and sometimes you know what happens is that one's children become so dear to one that they can take on the guise uh of a partner with god right. and this is very unfortunate <laughs> and some people become atheists infidels or faithless due to their children yeah. you know due due to well not due you know, due to the loss of their mm. children i should say right um some follow their children into christianity for the sake of their children they become christian some children die very young and become the cause of the suspension of their parents faith and um you know i can share this it's now a, because it's, it's a trial you could yeah say. because you know it's happened to us yeah, as well right we okay. lost a, a third child um and he was only eight weeks old and i yeah this is a long time ago now mm-hmm. and i look back at the experience and yes you know just what uh i've i've just said out to the listeners that you do mm-hmm. you feel that this is a trial mm-hmm. and you feel that you've lost your faith at, at one point because mm-hmm. you know you think well why why has god taken my son why me, right? no, why why me yes. right um but if it were not for my faith mm-hmm. and you know my family mm-hmm. uh, i don't think i'll be here today really yeah, because it's such a heavy blow to you right mm. to lose a child um and you know th- that's something that you know is a, i suppose for another another program really suffering right why yeah. do humans suffer yeah, but sure. it's through that suffering and that trial because right, god does not burden you until uh, you know you know too yeah. much for your shoulders right uh that you can bear so you know these are the I suppose the trials and tribulations not just of the father but obviously the you know the parents really mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Right. So when we see you know how uh, child loss affects both parents and you know the father, you know it's related that the holy pref- uh, prophet, uh, peace and blessings be upon him, actually lost eleven sons. Wow. Now prophets do attain great heights, but such status is not attained by achievements which are easy and simple. Uh, on the contrary, they undergo very heavy trials through tribulations from which they emerge successful and steadfast. So these are those trials of which um, you know God puts upon you. Absolutely. Yeah, and then you know obviously in the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be, uh, be upon him. You know, being the exemplary uh, role model for all of us, really, um, those trials are going to be very big, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, speak more about you know fatherhood or being a father. We're actually joined by our next guest of the day. Dr. Sundas Imtas. Now, uh, Dr. Sundas is a, a mother of two. Assalamualaikum, peace and blessings be upon you, Dr. Sundas. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Wa alaikum assalam. Thank you so much for having me. So we are talking about fathers, um, you, although you are a mother of two. <laughs> so you know, during the COVID lockdown, during the pandemic, many parents were able to be uh, much more hands-on. Well, they had to be because you're you're, you're stuck in indoors. How did you know? In your opinion, parent. Well, how did parenting change in your house? So um, I think, as we've already said, it it was very new. Um, it was basically very challenging. Um, so um, I think basically because the time was very long during the long time um, during the lockdown, it can be divided into phases. So initially, it was challenging for both parents and kids as well, because previously they would like have a routine, waking up on time, going to school. Um, but 
that routine to some extent was disrupted though uh, my um, daughter's school they were basically doing online classes but even then you parents in our household we basically had to take up a bit of a role and the responsibility of the teacher and um i think in in it is coming a lot more to the light that in this country the regard there's not much regard for teacher and their contribution um but i think during lockdown we came to know like how much hard work teachers put into um uh providing for educational needs of our children so um i think becoming educationally more involved their le- with their learning um also i think becoming more patient as well mm-hmm. um <laughs> because you will be spending a little bit time with your kids mm-hmm. you will somehow manage to be all right with them but spending a whole day mm-hmm. for for quite a few months was emotionally not only challenging for parents but also for children Mm-hmm. So, I so did you? Can, can I can I just ask, Doctor Sanders? Did your husband, right? Was he mainly? I mean, were you both out of the house norm? In a, say, for instance, pre-COVID, um, you know, uh, how much interaction or how much time did your husband have, you know, with the kids uh, prior to that? I mean, was it more of a a shock to his system, uh, COVID? So I think I've been very blessed in that regard. So uh, when my uh, daughter who was the eldest she's uh, seven years old now when she was born mm. I went back to work when I when she was three months old and my husband at that stage it was basically back in 2015 he decided to do a home-based job mm-hmm. so that at least one parent is spending a bit of time with the child so at least one of us is there mm-hmm. um, and he has been basically doing a home-based job for a very long time so he has been actually more involved with our kids than i have mm-hmm. so um i think he is so much better at doing things than i am so um he's very patient with both the children um he will listen to them first before actually having an emotional outburst mm-hmm. or shouting at them <laughs> okay so, yeah i understand yeah, that i so, fully get that yeah yeah so he yeah he would also tell me that you basically they are obviously not as emotional mature as we are but sometimes we it's very easy to forget that and mm. be like oh why don't you understand what i'm telling you <laughs> yeah, trying to yeah. tell you that yeah it's it's so, natural isn't it yeah so i think it was more of a learning for me than for him because he's actually very good in that regard he's very patient uh, he's very <laughs> slow with it he'll um give them time just compose themselves if they were having like an emotional breakdown or if they're just upset about they made a mistake uh, in something that they've done um uh, he's actually a very good listener so he will uh, show more interest mm-hmm. into um like what they have to say because obviously my youngest uh, is 3 years old so he's learning new words and new things and he basically gets very intrigued like somebody's talking so he would like to contribute towards that conversation Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than talking over children so women he is basically doing all these things the kids are also unconsciously learning those traits um mm-hmm. and then um obviously things like um the spiritual side the kids got more involved and uh, like m- many minor things like uh, talking about charity um the mm-hmm. uh, problem with the providing for the food banks how people are suffering uh talking to kids like what covid has done all around the world talking to them about like how is it has impacted other people's life uh, how we should be grateful to god and give back so i think there were quite a few things 
that uh, changed our parenting style. My daughter is basically it's so good to see that in her that every time she goes to school now she makes a prayer for her safety for everyone's safety. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if she's having some difficulty, she'll be like, "Mom, I'll make a I'll make a dua." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so, Dr. Sundas, um, being a doctor, a doctor yourself, and now you know seeing the father of your children, do you agree with this statement, "Fathers forever were superheroes"? Yeah, so uh, I absolutely agree with that. I mm-hmm. think um, as girls, we see like a rescuer or a savior um, in our uh, in our fathers, and mm-hmm. um, I think it's a very important thing to basically set that um, bar very high. for mm-hmm. your girls because mm-hmm. i think we live in a society where um we set the bar so low that when especially after they get married mm-hmm. um when men do bare minimum they they expect to be applauded for that mm-hmm. or they want to be appreciated for that but i think if fathers are doing or what they should be doing and they're doing that they actually um basically set the bar very high for their children they know mm-hmm. like this is normal this is how it should be mm-hmm. um and uh, this is what they basically look up for when they actually move on to in, into the next chapter of their lives mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so finally dr sundas i mean what little gem of advice would you have to give to you know would be fathers uh, in terms of uh, parenting and the challenge that it actually pre- presents So um I think um it's very important for men to realize that um it's a blessing mm-hmm. to start with um Allah me thought that you are capable enough and gave you this blessing there are so many people out there who basically would die to have a child mm-hmm. but for some mm-hmm. or other reason they are unable to so there are so many couples struggling to have kid if Allah me has given you this blessing then please be grateful for it mm-hmm. to be more involved uh because you are not doing it as a favor to your partner or your wife you are the father of that child mm. so it as much as your child as it is your wife mm. and um always remember that you you are basically a team mm-hmm. so if somebody if one is lacking behind then you have to step up yeah. there might be days when you are lacking behind and your partner would stay up so you basically get what you give mm-hmm. There's no I in team. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, Dr. Sundas Ali, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have, Have a good day. day. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And in fact, we have a, a listener calling in. I think uh, it's Atta. Uh, peace and blessings be upon you, Atta. Thank you for calling in. Assalamu alaikum. How are you guys? All good? Yeah, not too bad. And so... Yeah, what's your comment? You know, what do you think, right? We're talking about fathers and being superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. What would you think is the hardest um task for a father nowadays? So basically the reason why I wanted to be a part of this call is to inspire others because mm-hmm. um my wife is on a wheelchair oh. and we've had a daughter. She's mm-hmm. one year old now, alhamdulillah, and mm-hmm. when she was born, I left my job. So okay. I've been I died an amount for a year. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say obviously it's very hard to be a mom. Mm-hmm. But what I've learned is that dad can do so much as well and a lot of the times um society think that men cannot do what women do which is true. Mm-hmm. But dad can do so much. We just 
we are just getting used to the fact and the idea that if people say dad cannot do a lot, mm-hmm. we start to settle that idea into our mind. But it's not true because in this one year, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of experiences where I've learned so much how to do stuff with my daughter, for my daughter. So, and the so, hardest so, so Atta, can I just jump in there? So what do you think is, you know, for you yourself, right, has changed so much? Is it just like the the skill set that you've had to improve upon, like whether it be cooking, cleaning, you know, those household chores, or more, is it more of a kind of like psychological thing that you've had to improve upon? It was definitely a psychological thing because it's learning how to multitask in a better way mm-hmm. and uh, have a better understanding of the little ones because they expect with from us so much mm-hmm. and we tend to get irritated very quickly. But what I keep telling myself is that when I speak to my baby, that when she needs something, if we are going to start to get irritated, we just need to keep telling ourselves that they cannot communicate to us the way we do to other humans or the adults. So that helps a lot because them not being able to speak to us makes us frustrated. But definitely having good help around you, cousins, family, mm. mom, dad, grandparents, it's a big help. And uh, a lot of people tell you different ideas. So that's why nowadays parenting is a bit confusing because mm. one family will tell you one thing, the other family will tell you the other thing. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's the mom and dad that should make their main decisions. Mm-hmm. But for the dads out there, never give up. It's hard. It's mm-hmm. much harder than the joy and the fun. Mm-hmm. Not that the fun and joy is not present, but it is hard. So mm-hmm. I, suppose, I suppose I thought there's a different joy, isn't it? Yeah, satisfaction that you're, you know, you're doing so much. I mean, um, you know, you are actually our, our role model of the day. You know, you've called in, right? So, you know, our Definitely. title for this uh, show was, <laughs> this segment was Fathers Forever, Our Superhero. So yeah. thank you, Atta, for calling in. Have a good day. So that was Atta. Um, and, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, just being the superhero, being that, uh, you know, what is, uh, you know, the... In the words of uh, one of our previous Khalifas, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Imran, uh, you know, the role model of a unique or, or of a loving father. Mm-hmm. So um, basically, um, if if we talk about um, that, you know, uh, if you're talking about uh, the words of uh, Khalifa, mm-hmm. so his uh, Hazrat Khalifa al Masih the f- uh, fifth, uh, the current uh, worldwide uh, uh, Muslim, uh, you know, leader. Mm-hmm. Um, he stated uh, his son actually stated that he, um, the caliph, uh, current Khalifa, is the role model uh, in a unique way, and he uh, respected uh, Mirza Waqas Ahmed, you know, uh, who is his son. Mm-hmm. He pinned impression and you know sentiments related to his father, uh, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, the Khalifa al Masih, the worldwide head uh, of Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, he says, Caliph's personal life at home is a practical reflection of the guidance Caliph gives in his sermons, classes mm-hmm. and addresses to auxiliary organization. And this is not from today or since he was chosen as um, the uh, Caliph, but rather as far as my memory goes, it has always been uh, his way to live his life according to the commandments of Allah. Then he uh, states, the same in the case today. However, ever since the responsibility of Caliphate was uh, given to him, uh, this has acquired a new uh, demeanor. And one thing that I have always noticed uh, in in the in the Caliph, his father, that you know he always pay attention and pay special focus on worship, uh, to strictly adhere to the timing of Salat himself and to inculcate this in his family. 
And this is such an aspect of Caliph's life that has always remained intact uh, on, a, on my mind. And, uh, you know, there is a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, that uh, the best act of righteousness is that a man should maintain good relationship with his father's loved ones. Mm, exactly. Mm -hmm. So we're joined by our next guest of the day, Paul O'Callaghan. Um, Paul uh, is the chair of Trustees for Families and Fathers. Uh, peace and blessings be upon you, uh, Paul. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show today. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. So we're talking about fathers, uh, you know, our unsung superheroes. What is, you know, what is your your uh, charity, uh, your organisation, Families Need Fathers? And, you know, what work do you as an organisation do? Well, we, we specialise in the area, which is um, predominantly post-separation. So um, we're, a, we're a family that's broken down and... Mm -hmm. um, and where children, parents and children, they want to maintain that relationship post-separation. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we provide the support, and some advice in terms of how, predominantly fathers, but although we do have some mothers, we do have a significant number of mothers and a significant number of grandparents also um, as members of the charity. Mm -hmm. We are predominantly talking about fathers as well. Um, and um, we support and, and promote that contact between the, um, typically between the father and the children um, post-separation. Mm -hmm. We were founded in um, 1974, so we've been around for a significant time now. We're in our 50th year next year, um, and um, and we've followed the um, um, the changes in the family law um, since that time as well. Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. So, Paul, um, how has the COVID-19 lockdown, uh, you know, affected the family dynamics, especially in terms of parenting and the role of fathers around the house? Yeah, I think I think the COVID-19 was a good opportunity for fathers. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there is still in society, despite um, you know the equality laws and so on. I think typically there's a relate, a, an expectation that a father would be the one that goes to work and earns the money and pays for the house and so on and so on. Um, and what we what we realise in COVID nineteen is that um, you know, fathers were really stepping up to the plate to look mm -hmm. after their children who are also at home, uh, giving mums a break, giving grandparents a break. As we know in you know in um, in today's society, grandparents play a significant role in caring for the children. So um, you know, I think fathers, and they, I think fathers start to enjoy it. Actually, many fathers realise actually this is something they, that they want to do, and they enjoy the time home with, with their parents, uh, with the children, and, and, and so on. But I think COVID nineteen definitely um, definitely changed those dynamics in some societies now. Um, you know, fathers um, are, are the predominant um, um, carers for the kids, and so on. Uh, I say it's predominant. Predominant is the wrong word. They get you no know, equal caring. Children mm -hmm. um, as they're growing up. So. Mm. so, in terms of you know a child's upbringing, how I mean, what is the impact you know on let's say the rest of the child's life uh, if you know there are differences between um, you know both parents, right? Um, say, for instance, um, let me rephrase that. So, you know, when a child is brought up by both parents as opposed to a single parent. Yeah, no, I get you. I mean, it's uh, you know, I think it depends on the family dynamic, mm -hmm. and it, it also depends greatly on the the extended family as well. So where there's a, now there are some couples who can separate, you know, and can co-parent you know, very very well and very very positively for the children. Unfortunately, at the moment, we have something like 110,000 children stuck inside family court. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, and it's just a huge number, and it's um, you know these, these battles have a huge emotional turmoil on the children. Mm -hmm. 
So, and typically, unfortunately, um, you know, there's a, there's a significant breakdown in, in the relationship between fathers and their children post-separation. Hmm. And that can lead to everything. You know, it can lead to um, the crime we're seeing on the streets at the moment. You know, I think it's, I don't know the exact statistics, but I'm sure it's more than 80% of, of men in prison come from a single-parent household. Hmm. So it's, um, it's not just it's life chances, it's educational attainment, it's jobs, it's all these types of things. And it's transgenerational. You know, if you if you are raised in a one-parent household, the chances of you then going on to be um, in a one-parent household are very, very significant. Mm. And um, you know, so for the children, that you know, the life chances of a separated family, of a let me say, it's not so much they're separated; it's they don't co-parent in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're a child in that situation, your life chances are reduced very, very significantly. Mm, yeah, because I suppose you're being the child; you're the you know the, you're the you know the the meat inside the sandwich really and Absolutely. it's um, it's an unfortunate uh position to be in uh, yeah. and you don't choose that as a child to be say for no, instance no, no. in a broken uh, relationship yeah and what we see now is you know we see lots of um lots of problems with them um, because we have so many children in the family stuck in family courts now mm. and the family courts were clearly never designed for that sort of volume the delays are incredible you know, we're talking an average in that one year now trying to get a resolution. Mm-hmm. And you end up with what we call, um, you know, these things like alienating behavior start setting in, where so one parent might start saying bad things about the other, and then mm. relationship breaks down between one parent and the child and so on. And, um, some, and often it's irretrievable. Mm. You know, mm. We have to wait till the child gets much older and, um, and sort of has an awakening. Actually, I want to go and see my mom or I want to go and see my dad and find out exactly what went on. So... Mm. Very unfortunate. Turmoil on the children and and on the parents as well, and on extended families, mm-hmm. aunts, uncles, cousins, and so on. You know, in my view, it's wholly unnecessary, wholly mm. unnecessary. And if um, you know, the problem is, in, you know, it's a societal problem. If, you know, you and I know if we say to our friends, you know, I want to divorce my wife, the first thing they'll say is, you know, get a good lawyer, get the kids, get the house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Then, yeah, I mean, we do, we joke about it, Paul, but it is it is. A, a unfortunate fact. Yeah, it's an unfortunate fact of society now, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. So what we say as family's fathers is that you've got to put the children first. Mm. Funny yeah. enough, actually, we're actually in the process of changing our name because our, our membership is changing and we will be called, called mm. well, hopefully call ourselves very soon, um, Both Parents Matter. Yeah, mm. that's very good, you know, yes. And both yeah. parents do matter. Mm. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, a child definitely needs loving parents to support them, you know, especially today's day and age. People get so bombarded with social media and all this other rubbish that goes on. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have two parents that can balance each other off, right. you, know, you, end up, you end up in a very complicated situation. You, know, you end up in a kind of like a single echo chamber, don't you? Uh, as, as as that is the case, mm-hmm. I think Imran's got a question for you. Yes, Paul. So you know, we talked um, in the show previously that you know um, losing a child can be very depressing and you know upsetting situation. How does it affect fathers, and what help is available for them? Like I, I can tell you now from from personal experience. Um, when you say losing a child in terms of loss or in terms of in a in a, in a divorce situation, uh, d- let's say let's say in a bereavement, actual loss. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's just you know, you, now when we when we have children, you can probably hear my child in the background screaming. <laughs> but when, when we have children, we you know we want to see them grow. Mm-hmm. You know, we we sit back and we have this image of ourselves growing old as grandparents. Mm-hmm. And, right. and if, if that's if that is taken from you for whatever reason, you know, illness or, you know, or some other reason, you know, your your future dreams are taken with them as well. 
you know, and you you are forever wondering, you know, if, what if? if? To, yeah, what if? And if you're going, but not only that, but if you're going to watch a football game or a rugby game, hmm. you're wondering, oh, I wonder if they would like this game if they would have been here with me, you know. And there's, you know, you don't, you, I don't think you ever get over that loss. Mm-hmm. Your, life, your life goes on naturally, but I don't think you can ever get over the loss of a child. It's it's unnatural for a parent to be burying their children. I think it's, it's mm. very unnatural. But so so you know, what what kind of support do you think is out there though for for fathers who have suffered this kind of loss? Do you think is it sufficient? I I, I think fathers. Um, well, it's a difficult one. I mean, the loss of. Um, of a bereavement, I, I think men are, fathers typically are supposed to just accept it mm-hmm. and be strong for the family, be strong for other other siblings, other children, mm-hmm. and uh, be strong for you know their partner. And I think it's very difficult. And I think you know, as the others are recovering from the grief process, I think men typically are entering the grief process. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think there's the necessary support for them, you know, and, and that leads to other forms of addiction and so on. And you know. And, and, and even problems within the family, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, um, but I don't. I don't think they do. I mean, National Health do a you know, do a fantastic job with, with that service, but again, I don't. I don't think it's enough. And I don't think it's sufficient. And I, you know, unfortunately, those who can pay for it go privately, and those who can't have to suffer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another unfortunate fact of the society that we live in. You know, well, I think I think fathers typically will, will rely on extended family. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it's, and without a bereavement, I know. So, what they call alienation is it's like a living we call it a living bereavement mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, um you know we turn to family quite a lot and uh, we are families with fathers we run support groups um we have a, a dedicated helpline and those sort of things i can give you that number actually it's 0300 0300 correct yeah Excellent. and that's a confidential free of charge helpline um, for anything, um, any any of these types of issues that we're discussing now. Mm, excellent. Well, Paul, it's been a pleasure speaking to you this afternoon. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. It's a pleasure. No, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having us. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good day. Bye bye. Bye. Oh two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And I believe Imran, we've got an Instagram story. Yeah, sure. uh, whereby we asked, uh, well, an actual question. Mm-hmm. Three things need, uh, a father needs to have. Have we had any replies? Yeah, sure. That? So, um, um, Faiza, uh, she replied that patience, leadership, and uh, lots of love, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, these. And then uh, another uh, person replied that strength, love, time for family. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, other guy said, you know, leadership skills. So I don't think all of these points are really very important. And I like to quote and of of uh, the hadith and saying of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which mm-hmm. I like really, uh, really much. And you know, once a man um, complained to the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him about his father, who took his uh, belonging, you know, um, whenever he liked, the messenger of Allah called for his father who was a very old man, and asked him to, uh, the details of the matter. So the father said, O Messenger of Allah, a, t- a time was when my son was weak and helpless and barehanded while I had a strength and wealth. Uh, I never you know, hesitated to give him uh, my belongings, whatever he needed them, whenever he needed them. Today I am weak and barehanded while he is rich, and now he keeps his belonging from me. Hearing this, tears uh, came uh, to the eyes of the Holy Prophet, um, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and he said to the son you and your belongings belong to your father you and your belongings belong to your father 
So I think uh, this can summarize summarize up all of the things. I, you know what, Imran? Yeah. You're, you're totally right because I've I've not I've not uh, come across this uh, mm. the saying of the uh, Holy Prophet peace and blessings be upon him. Mm. But I will be relating this to both my sons tonight. <laughs> um, it's actually a very very uh, you know good prayer as well that mm. that Holy Quran taught us. Uh, to the children that the children can you know ask um, to uh, their parents and that phrase is mm-hmm. the translation is my lord have mercy on them even as they nourished me in my childhood so that, that we should you know try to the children should you know try to mm. make these prayer on daily basis but i suppose you know children don't see that do they yeah, yeah they, they don't have the benefit of time and age, and I suppose with age does come some kind of modicum of wisdom. I think one, one, uh, when I was, uh, um, I went to Jamia, so um, then, you know, I realized that how important parents are in your life, mm-hmm. especially your mom and your dad. Right. And, you know, then I realized that, you know, your all of the daily things, your mom done it without, <laughs> you know, knowing, uh, knowing <laughs> that you have to do this and you have to wash your clothes, you know, you prepare meals. <laughs> And then I realized okay. the importance of mother and father. Yeah. And then I, you know, um, really uh, prayed for my both of my parents. Yeah, it's when so you're it's, when when you're bereft of those things, <laughs> clean clothes, yes. food in your belly, True. yeah, and you know, a shelter, mm-hmm. uh, lodging. Yeah. Then you realize, well, how did that happen for the, the best part of my <laughs> yeah. earlier years? Ah, oh, my parents, yeah. and you give you give praise. Yeah. But I mean, I suppose you know. In conclusion, since the pandemic, fathers have increased their share of caring for children as a whole. Mm-hmm. And this has fostered actually better relationships with their children and the family as such. Showing patience at the time of child loss and bereavement is a sign that of a true believer. And Allah has promised that after every hardship, there comes ease. Mm-hmm. The patient will be rewarded. Uh, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masra Ahmed, uh, head of the worldwide uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim community, is a father and a role model of which we should all take uh, take heed, really. So that brings us to the end of the first hour. Here is the news, I should say. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome back to Monday's edition of The Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Mad, Imam Imran Akram. And in the first hour, we you know, we looked at the role of the father, the superhero, the, the unsung superhero. So now we're looking in our second hour at atheism. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who have, I mean, they've titled this A Lost Path, but I would retitle it, I suppose, as mm-hmm. those who have lost the path, maybe, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, Past the faith of it. Yeah, 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 something like that. Um, but I suppose, you know, mm. if you're an atheist... Mm. In your mind, you haven't lost, right? True, you haven't true. lost your way because mm. you know you don't think that there is that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but I think for atheists, um, I haven't you know really come across uh, some atheists, but I uh, maybe once or twice. Uh, but they really believe that this is the this is the life we're going to have, and mm-hmm. you know they don't really. But you see that the the crux of atheism is is that you can't prove the existence of god with any tangible means mm-hmm. you see mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's no scientific proof i mean i'm i'm actually laying the foundations for an audio clip <laughs> that the previous halifa uh, has has answered right, right? Uh, as uh, uh, refuting the claim of atheism but mm-hmm. that is the core uh, argument against the belief in a creator the belief in a, a god is that mm-hmm. there is no tangible evidence. Okay. Well, for me personally, as a believer, I think uh, 
it is very easy to believe that someone has created this universe, you know, full of stars, sun mm-hmm. and moon and the vegetation. And mm. everything in this planet is working in harmony. For right. me, it's a natural thing to believe that there should be a creator. Mm. I don't know. For me, it's easy. But for atheists, I must, I must think that it's, uh, it's hard to think that, you know. But um, I suppose, yeah, one of the simplest arguments to refute atheism is that everything, you know, an atheist would live in the world that we live in, right? right, right. So we see things like, um, well, we're in the studio. I'm seeing a mic. I'm seeing a, a mouse, a computer. Etc. Etc. Mm-hmm. These material things. So, how did they come to be? There should be a creator, right? Someone mm-hmm. made these, Each right? Idea. A machine made these, yeah. but someone yeah. made the machine to make them, right? Yes. Yes. So then, if you expand that, or you you kind of like extrapolate that backwards as to, well, we're here. Mm-hmm. Isn't it logical that something or someone or some being Absolutely, created yeah. us? That's, right. That's a natural approach. You should yeah. exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, let's get into the meat of this now. Forty-five percent of Brits would describe themselves as either atheists or non-religious, and this is according to new data from Statistica's Global Consumer Survey. Faith is an important part of any believer's daily life, providing comfort, guidance when needed. Atheists, on the other hand, are left to rely just solely on themselves, mm-hmm. which often results in feelings of isolation. Now, religion relies on faith more so than objective reasoning or scientific credibility. So that's what we're talking about—the tangibility of it. Right? Right, right. This point is often forgotten when debating around the importance of religion. When faith is forgotten, confusion is created due to the conflicting claims of different religions, which can also result in atheism. Mm-hmm. Uh, due to such reasons, uh, a lack of good representation. People, especially the young people, resort uh, to atheism, believing that religion is out of touch under modern day or in the modern day context. Now, the Holy Quran urges the importance of faith and states, "And whosoever obeys Allah and His Messenger and fears Allah, and takes Him as a shield for protection, it is they who will be successful." That was uh, verse fifty-three in chapter twenty-four. I mean, what is the importance of faith to us? So faith is undoubtedly, you know, a major part of our lives, um, as logic and reason only takes you so far. Without faith in anything, you know, we would be unable to convince ourselves to carry out individual actions. In a world full of difficulties and unavoidable suffering, faith allows us to remain strong due to its positive outlook towards the world, and we are able to, you know, sympathize and learn from such events. Faith also serves as a motive. And as as you know, uh, life can feel sometimes pointless. You know, at times, especially mm-hmm. for uh, atheists, religion provides guidance on how to lead our lives, and uh, upon acting, you know, how to live, uh, how how to lead our lives, and upon acting, we can encourage other as well. So I was reading an article, especially that that says that Gen Z are more likely to you know. Uh, p- to be depressed than their previous generation, mm-hmm. and a study basically fa- find that you know 13 to 25 years of old um, people. Uh, so um, this this study is actually a Springtide Research Institute. It suggests that spirituality could uh, you know be part of the remedy of the, mm-hmm. you know um, people get depressed and you know anxiety and religion and spirituality can aid youth mental health crisis. So I think faith. And the religion can really play an important part of one's life. Mm. Then faith is, you know, a bone of hope, and the knowledge that things will get better. 
Even outside of religion, it is part of our daily lives. The faith that you will wake up tomorrow, the ability to accept that everything will work out no matter what the situation might be, and the ability to get through the day. Religion also provides a sense of community and brotherhood, something atheist fails to give, as it is focused on as it is you know, focused on a more independent approach towards belief. And faith has a positive impact on mental health overall due to the many benefits that peace and comfort in religion can provide, along with the guidance from religious teachings providing a sense of purpose in life. So, for example, if you believe in a religion, it really you know, gives, you the, gives you the purpose of the life. In the case of Islam, so Islam is an Arabic word which means that obedience and peace. Mm-hmm. So Islam thus means complete submission to the will of God and to be at peace with all the creation of God. So in other words, the fundamental purpose of Islam is to bring back mankind to its creator and to improve the quality of human relationship. So it follows, therefore, that Islam is the only religion whose very name tells its believer that what to do and how to do. Mm. So religion, it gives you the purpose in life. Mm. And uh, on the other hand, atheists, they maybe have a purpose or hobby or maybe a job in life. Mm. But beyond that, what happened after that, they don't believe. But as a believer, uh, it is, I think, it is uh, a very, you know, um, when I think that, you know, um, after, after there is a loft, uh, life after that, mm-hmm. and I'm going to present uh, before my creator, mm-hmm. it really gives me the motivation to do good. Mm-hmm. And it, because we're going to judge. Um, we're going to judge uh, upon our deeds, mm-hmm. good or bad. So it really give, motivates me that you know um, I need to you know ha- make happy my creator. Mm-hmm. So that's how. You, you I mean, I'd, yeah, maybe uh, someone can call in actually, mm-hmm. and it's oh two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, and correct me. But uh, and I'm going to paraphrase this, and this is also an argument to believe that there is a creator. Right. Now I believe this is. I'm, I'm most probably misquoting, mm-hmm. but the general, uh, the what is it, the the the, the gist it will be there. Uh, some French existentialist, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Uh, back in the most probably 18th century, came out with this mm-hmm. that regarding the belief of a god, right. right? So, uh, if you believe in a god mm-hmm. and a hereafter, right, pray to that god, right. So that's number one condition, right? right. If there is no God, mm-hmm. still pray to that God because you don't know, right? Out of percussion, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. right. Yeah. If there is actually no There's, God, yeah. what have you wasted? Nothing. Nothing, Nothing right? Either. You've wasted prayer. Yeah. Now, if there is a God mm-hmm. and you haven't prayed to that God, mm-hmm. then you're going to hell. <laughs> so True. there you go, right? So even if you want to hedge your bets, mm-hmm. okay, then you say, right, okay, um, what's the 50-50? Mm-hmm. There is God, there isn't God, okay? And the fact of the matter is uh, you've, you've basically uh, on, okay, we're not gamblers here because we're Muslims, <laughs> but I've seen on a roulette table you have even or odd. Right, so it's 50-50, right, right, yeah? Right. So I'm betting on even that there is a God. Mm. And you know what I'm going to do? Like you said, yeah, mm. as a believer uh, in a faith, mm-hmm you know that you will be judged upon mm. your sins because this is the core belief of all the major religions. Right. That you will be judged in your life on this earth mm. as to the good deeds you've done and the bad deeds you've mm. done. And thus, therefore, your your life hereafter will then 
be determined by that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So therefore, if you don't believe in a God, yeah, and you haven't worshipped Him, mm-hmm. and you haven't done good deeds, right. and then you find out, oh, <laughs> blimey, you're dead. Yeah. There is hereafter. Does God give you dispensation? Of course not, mm-hmm. because all along you will have been given signs, mm-hmm. right? And we don't know what those signs are, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because you know. Some of us are lucky enough to have God manifest themselves mm-hmm. in dreams, right. Right? right? To point you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Others find themselves, you know, maybe they're walking along a street and then they find themselves in front of a mosque. Why am I here? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just led me here, right? right. To find the path. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we are all given these opportunities. And that is, I think, in terms of creation, God's greatest gift to us all as human beings is the ability to choose mm-hmm. right, right, right. Uh, choice uh, is cognitive reasoning we may not choose correctly mm-hmm. but then you know that choice has been given to you and then there is i suppose if i were to hazard a guess a, a god's plan the beauty of it because he's created us but mm-hmm. he's given us um our own consciousness absolutely um, i mean you're very right in saying that you know if you believe in god it's win-win situation Mm-hmm. No lose, you know. Yeah, it's actually you know remind me one of the story of Imam Abu Hanifa, who is the you know um, very famous Imam in in mm-hmm. in Islam, and he had a debate with atheist, you know, very fa- famous atheist. So the time and date was set, and you know people were gathered to you know um, to see what's the result of the debate, and the atheist was you know atheist was pre- pre- present there, and uh, everyone was waiting for Imam Abu Hanifa to come, but he didn't show up, and the time was passing, and you know people were waiting. And uh, atheist, you know, he starts saying that, is that your imam? You, you said he's, he's a very knowledgeable person and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But at the end, after a very long time, he, you know, uh, he show up. And um, he said to the atheist, you know, I'm very sorry that I'm late. Um, will you, will you, you know, uh, forgive me if I told you the reason? He said, yes, sure. What's the reason? Mm-hmm. So that uh, when I was coming to the debate, there's a river, big river. And uh, I had to cross this river, but there was no ship. And I was waiting, and suddenly what happened was that there was a tree, and it suddenly cut down by itself, mm-hmm. and made made into the logs, and then that logs become into the planks, and then mm-hmm. planks somehow become the ship, mm-hmm. and then ship that you know the ship. There was a no sailor, but the ship automatically come to me, and I, mm-hmm. you know, crossed the river, you know, uh, somehow, and then uh, that ships, you know, um, um, uh, leave me on the other side of the river and mm-hmm. vanished. So he, the atheist, laughed, you know. Is that your uh, knowledgeable person? What are you talking? Basically, you're mm. you're believing in a nonsense thing. Basically, yeah. it's not true. Imam Abu Hanifa said, "I'm glad that you think because how can you believe that the, a ship, at a small, simple ship, can make? You know, uh, you cannot believe that small ship can make uh, by itself. Mm-hmm. So how can you believe that this world and your universe and the stars and the moon, they are have you know very um, not a very complex mm-hmm. a system." But also uh, they're running in the very harmony, mm-hmm. and you know. Uh, so at, at that point, the atheist lost that debate. So the more <laughs> of the story is that you know. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. You, you can see. I mean, for all our listeners out there, yeah. what Imran's saying is beautifully illustrated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the the I suppose the flaw in an atheist argument yes. is that actually is about creation, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the the problem I suppose, or not the problem, that one of the Uh, stumbling box that atheists have with 
faith and the belief in a creator is the representation of religion. Mm -hmm. Now, religion is given an oversimplified representation in the media, uh, with often no critique or analysis of what is being said. Now, words are taken at face value, providing inaccurate information as a uh, misinformation, I should say, as a result. Media often focuses heavily on portrayals of uh, religious stereotypes aiming to highlight the negative aspects of uh, to extremism regularly. Uh, atheists are also described as selfish or violent under the lens of religion, creating a stress relationship between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, terrorist attacks and Islamophobia are common in the media, which is not a true representation of Islam. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that that is a very small um, percentage of uh, Muslims, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, who yeah. who you know enact these terror, you know, these these acts of terror. Absolutely. Uh, who are, but then you have media completely focusing on them. Actually, you know, um, I, I can't remember the story, but um, uh, like some years ago, they actually caught some of the suicide bombers mm-hmm. in I think in Pakistan. And uh, they asked them, you know, to read the kalma, which is the fundamental, you know, mm. base of the declaration Islam, of faith. De- declaration of faith. And they don't know that declaration of faith. But if you ask them, you know, they said that we're going to do, you know, jihad and stuff. All, all, you know, these kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But actually, these guys nothing to do with religion. They're just after money or maybe the politics. Mm. Co- and I think, and I think, yeah, your your point is very valid, right? Mm. That. Uh, this is the misrepresentation um, of religion, okay. you know, whereas a true religion, a, a true religion is about faith. Mm-hmm. It's not about politics. Absolutely. And unfortunately, if we look at human history throughout the ages, yeah, mm-hmm. it's been politics. If you look historically at the Crusades mm-hmm. yeah, in Christian mm-hmm. history, right. uh, when the Spanish Crusades went to South America, they went mm-hmm. with the guise of converting you know the indigenous populations right. to uh to christianity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but ultimately it was to fill themselves you know yeah. with with gold right, right? right and the same you know in all the subcontinents is the, 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 you know that mm-hmm. is the unfortunate thing mm-hmm. so you need to actually separate that which is political and that which is true religion absolutely But uh, to speak more regarding atheism, uh, we're joined by Imam Rabib Mirza. As-salamu alaykum. Peace and blessings be upon you, Imam Rabib. Wa alaykum as-salamu Peace be upon you and peace be upon all of our listeners. And uh, thank you for once again having me. Yes, yes. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. My first question for this, uh, because we're talking about atheism here, right? Now, faith is an important part of our lives. Whether religion, uh, religious or not, how do faith and belief give us the motivation to achieve a happier, more successful life? Well, fundamentally, um, I would actually like to present one verse of the Holy Quran um, that sums up uh, this question in a very beautiful nutshell. The Holy Quran states that Mm-hmm. that it is in the remembrance of God Almighty that the hearts find content. Mm-hmm. And belief and faith, they are deeply correlated to contentment as well. 
because we see that, let's say, someone um, is extremely wealthy or is living a luxurious life, mm-hmm. but sometimes they don't have that contentment that a poor person who is a true believer believes in God Almighty has. Now, uh, you know, nowadays we are witnessing that there are certain, um, you know, uh, singers, uh, certain actors that have committed suicide mm-hmm. um, because they've had some sort of miserable experiences in their yeah, life. Yeah, I mean, we see it all the time, don't we, Imam Rabi? Absolutely. You know, these filth, well, I shouldn't say filthy, but, you know, amazingly rich people, these celeb- celebrities, in the end, kind of like, you know, their lives, you know, committing suicide, having drug overdoses, whatever it may be, and you were thought, well, obviously, money isn't the answer then. Absolutely, and that's why even the the first caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community He's even said that if you study mm-hmm. and research the lives of the prophets and saints, you will never see that they ever committed suicide. Right. Even though, even though that they had uh, to undergo extreme trials and tribulations, mm-hmm. yet because they had that deep relationship with God Almighty, they always remained content. Of course, being human beings. Um, there were difficulties that they faced. But as I mentioned at the start, that if a person has a relationship with God Almighty, mm-hmm. um, you know, firm belief and firm faith in God Almighty, that will grant him that contentment, and that is actually the benefit of faith and belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Imam uh, Rabib, you know, atheists are often subjected to feeling feelings of isolation in the modern scientific world. Now, how important are the community and the brotherhood offered by religion in combating these issues? Well, this is also um, something very interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, the religion of Islam in particular, it gives emphasis and lays emphasis on congregation. Mm -hmm. And that's why even we see that not only five times a day um, we congregate in the mosque, but even on the occasions of Eid, um, you know, the, the celebrations of Eid, you know, we have two celebrations of Eid, one that uh, is celebrated um, at the end of the holy month of Ramadan after mm-hmm. fasting, and then there's another one that's celebrated uh, after around two months. Mm-hmm. Um, and within uh, these congregations, it is actually being scientifically proven now, and there's many articles about this, that when people get together, this is a way of eradicating loneliness and ultimately eradicating mental health issues. So if a person comes to such gatherings, of course, what is the consequence going to be? The consequence is that they're going to meet their friends, they are going to meet their family members, they are going to talk to one another. Um, And even if they're not going to talk to one another, at least just by looking at someone else or just giving them a smile mm-hmm. as the Holy Prophet peace and blessed of Allah be upon him, the Holy Founder of Islam has mentioned that even giving someone a smile is is a form of charity, is a form of almsgiving. Right. So these things actually show that Islam in particular has combated isolation through the means of its um, you know activities that take place within the congregation that take place within the parameters of gatherings and people getting together. So this is one very beautiful aspect of how 
religion actually combats isolation mm-hmm. and does away with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You're very much, you know, right in saying that, you know, that especially all religion, especially Islam, that, you know, it has... Um, said that you you should uh, do five daily prayer with congregation and then you have a friday uh, prayer uh, in which all of the you know um, community. Uh, community comes gathered together and then you have a pilgrimage once in a year so it's all about you know gathering and and brotherhood right mm-hmm. so also uh, imam rabib yeah the, the the premise of you know being in religion or being religious yeah there are always differences of opinion i mean we have you know different religions within the world right why are tolerance and respect necessary? I mean, how do we learn from these differences? I mean, that's you know, one of the arguments that atheists have because they say, right, you know, how comes one religion calls um, this creator God? You, you Muslims, you call it Allah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Buddhists call it Buddha. You know, why is this difference here? Yeah, why are these differences there? I mean, so, you know, how can we show... Uh, the true face of uh, religion to atheists? Well, this is something that Islam, again, it also promotes to respect other religions. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very outset of the Holy Quran, where God Almighty has introduced himself as being Lord of all the world, mm-hmm. this is actually the formula for respecting each other. Not only respecting each other's religions, but it's uh, respecting each other as human beings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in other words, you have to become colorblind. You have to become mm-hmm. uh, blind in the sense of someone's origin, someone's nationality. And this is what Islam fundamentally promotes. If God Almighty is master of all of the worlds, or is Lord of all of the worlds, then that means that no particular people have superiority over another. Mm -hmm. And this is what we are witnessing. I mean, it's so unfortunate that we are living in the 21st century and still we are facing racism. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that itself shows that we have not come, we have not fully grown out of our primitive states. Um, So that's why Islam has laid emphasis upon this. And then in the next chapter, right at the beginning, where the Muslims have been commanded that believe in what has been revealed to thee, in other words, to the Holy Prophet, mm-hmm. be upon him, and believe in what was revealed before thee, in other words, the revelation before the Holy Prophet, be upon him. And this is a, a such a, maybe to some people it, it may seem a very subtle thing, but it's a very extraordinary thing mm-hmm. that again, at the second chapter of the Holy Quran, at the very start, God Almighty is saying, believe in the revelations that have come before the revelation of Islam. Mm-hmm. This itself actually shows how the Holy Quran has also endorsed and supported this idea that each and every single person, each and every single religion should be respected. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there are going to be theological differences within religions, but the fact of the matter is that don't brothers and sisters who come from the same parent, do, do they not um, differ in their opinion? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah do they exactly. not differ, you know, Do they not differ in their own, um, you know, comprehension of things? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, someone, the, the same brother and sister, they may call their mother, one may call their mother mama, you know, in, in Urdu, Ammi, and uh, in you know some other languages, they may refer to their mother in you know in different ways. Right. But it doesn't mean that 
the mother is different at the mm. end of the day it's just a way that they have been taught how to say you know mother or father and this is the same in languages as well in the uh, sorry in the different religions as well mm-hmm. to call god almighty allah or yahwa or vai guru mm-hmm. you know all of these things they exactly the same all of god almighty's names are, are beautiful mm-hmm. so whether you call god god whether whether you call him allah whether you call him vai guru whether you call god almighty yahwa you know aluhim whatever way you desire to call god almighty and praise him that's totally up to you and it actually reminds me of this very beautiful incident where once there was um a shepherd um and prophet moses was passing by the shepherd mm-hmm. and the shepherd said that uh, you know he was addressing god almighty that oh god you know if you were here before me i would take out the lice from your head i would you know clean your feet um i would massage you and prophet moses rebuked him and he became so angry with him that he said that how dare you speak about god almighty in this manner mm-hmm. you know be gone from my sight and that person became so disheartened that he left mm-hmm. as prophet moses just walked a little bit further god almighty spoke to prophet moses and said how dare you speak to my servant who is addressing me in the manner that he seems befitting Mutual. because this is what he understands mm-hmm. about my nature mm-hmm. and he desires to you know um he praise me in this manner according to his own understanding mm-hmm. that's why even the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him has mentioned that god almighty deals with a person according to the comprehension or that a person has of god almighty so what i mean to say is that whether a person says allah yahwa whatever name they give god almighty it's all the same mm-hmm. 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 so imam rabib you know science and faith are often named enemies however you know is it possible for them to coexist well i can't speak for the other religions or the other faith <laughs> but in terms of islam mm-hmm. you know we <coughs> do understand that religion and science they go hand in hand with one another and mm-hmm. this is what the holy founder of Uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian has taught us and he has told us that actually science supports religion and in our community in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community we have the privilege of uh, you know producing in one sense we can say mm-hmm. the first Nobel Muslim laureate mm-hmm. although unfortunately some other people do not recognize him as being a muslim mm-hmm. but whatever whatever the case is he was the first muslim nobel laureate dr abdul salam sahib mm-hmm. and dr abdul salam <coughs> his weak force theory was based upon the principles of the holy quran where god almighty talks about his unity and talks about that if you observe the world mm-hmm. you will not find a single piece out of its place Mm. and this is what dr abdul salam sahib desired so generally uh, it was thought at the time um, when dr abdul salam sahib presented his theory that there are four forces working in the world so dr abdul salam sahib he found out or he investigated and he came to this conclusion that in actuality two of those forces are one and the same mm-hmm. and what dr abdul salam sahib desired to Uh, illustrate to the world that while well, you are dividing these forces into four 
um, separate categories or four separate entities, but I assure you that all of these forces are one, mm-hmm. and that force is the force of God Almighty. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Abdul Salam Sahib even quoted um, this Quranic verse when he was uh, addressing um, you know, the, the people when he had uh, been given this great honor of being a Nobel Laureate, and he also used to say that there are around 700 verses of the Holy Quran um, that uh, correspond to uh, science. To science. Mm-hmm. So the fact of the matter is that science is supporting religion, mm-hmm. uh, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And they go hand in hand, and of course, at the end of the day, whatever discoveries um, are made, they will be in support um, of religion. So this was just one one example. I mean, there are many mm. other examples. There are countless, I think, in yeah. Islam, really. Absolutely. I mean, the whole. If you look at the whole of the Islamic history, the <laughs> the golden mm-hmm. uh, period of Islam, the golden era of Islam, you know, the the Muslim scientists. I mean, they excelled mm. um, in in the pursuit of of knowledge. You know, whether it was astrology, astronomy, mm. even mathematics. The, you know, mathematics. The fact that um, uh, the first, I believe, the first uh, cataract operation was performed by a Muslim doctor in Baghdad, um, you know, when Baghdad was the the capital or the center of Islam. Mm -hmm. And after that, then, it's obviously been improved upon. But, you know, how did did they manage to... you know, do that procedure. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was due to their research and due to their scientific research. Mm-hmm. So whether, again, anatomy, whatever the case was, we see that if the Muslim scholars um, of that time excelled in the scientific fields, that itself is a big testimony to the fact that Islam, um, you know, endorses the fact that science can support it and science mm-hmm. Science uh, assists it. Yeah, exactly. Religion and science go hand in hand because it's all part of a natural order. Mm-hmm. Well, Imam Rabib Mirza, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for joining us this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. Thank you so much for having me. Peace be upon you. Thank Peace you so be upon much. you as well. 0208 687 7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And, you know, we're going to just play you this audio clip of His Holiness uh, Mirza Tahir Ahmed, the fourth Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and his, um, I suppose, answer to atheist. In general, when Hazur's uh, rebuting their argument scientifically, the, the Darwins and Dawkins and, and, and the naturalists, uh, Hazur's presenting scientific uh, argument to refute them. But in presenting that because they're wrong, therefore, because they haven't got a solution as to what the, crea- the cause of creation is, or creative principles, uh, and the answer must be that, that it is God who created it. Sure. But to a naturalist, as to scientists, or to them, uh, that is not presenting your argument scientifically, because they cannot test that scientifically, that no, because no, there is no answer. This- this is wrong because I have taken up this issue as well. In the end of the book, there is one chapter which particularly deals with this issue of their choices and our choices. We can attribute the evolution to God by, uh, as we understand, God could have uh, organized evolution 
which if not organized by a conscious being above the material could not have evolved in such a short time. This is the main thrust of my argument. So they have two choices. Either to attribute it to God and understand that there is some ultimate conscience and conscious being which uh, directs the steps of evolution and brings it closer in time. In all laboratories, scientists are working with apparatus. So things, if they're left in the open, they may take to develop because they're scientists, scientific. They're not unscientific. So science laws apply to them. So they may take to for these things to develop in a, a billion years. But a scientist achieves his object within a year or two with the help of these, this, uh, you know, various sorts of scientific apparatus, which has ultimately developed into a very complex machinery. Now, this is the point which I have raised. Can, could this machinery be built without an outside mind or not? That is the point. If you reject an outside mind operating this machinery and building it gradually to this highly evolved form, if you reject that mind, then you have a right to reject God. I understand. If you do not reject that mind, what right have you got to reject God? then the whole development of science, I'm not talking of evolution, I'm talking of this development of science we see today, that should have been attributed to nothingness. They know it, it's absurd and stupid. So they have no choice. They're compelled to believe in God. But because they're atheists, so they want to hold fast to their atheism, so when you enter that domain, they refuse to follow you. Essentially, they are atheists, despite the fact that they have no alternative theory of evolution. Now, when you compare this concept with the one which I have presented to you, then whether they agree with you or not is immaterial. They will understand that you are right and they are wrong. Science could not have developed without an operative mind to such amazing achievements which boggle the human mind. But Evolution is far more complex than this. And this, it happened automatically. Yes. Now you know? Yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show. So those were the uh, dulcet tones of uh, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mirza Tahir Ahmad. Um, and, you know, when we look at science and religion, mm-hmm. uh, Imran, you know, science and religion both have different approaches. And like we spoke with earlier on with uh, Imam Rabib, mm-hmm. uh, the importance lies in coexisting. Right. It's, it's, you know, that there isn't a battle of who is right, who is wrong, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, you know, science can't, cannot prove something entirely. Because even now, you know, we're, if that were the case, mm-hmm. then well, there won't be any scientists anymore, right? Absolutely. Because they've discovered everything. Mm-hmm. So why are they still knocking about? Why are they doing their 
physicist, you know, yeah. being a physicist, being a chemist. Yeah, because it's still an evolving field, field right, yeah. of science, yeah. right? Um, so I've always felt personally that that gap between understanding, right, our environment and nature as a whole is filled in by faith. Absolutely. I mean, as as Imam Rabib Mirza said, you know, that faith and science, religion and science goes hand in hand. And uh, one of our caliph, he said that uh, the the religion is the world of God and the science is the work of God. Mm. So it r- doesn't really uh, differ if you, you know, uh, research closely and, you know, mm. look things closely. And, you know, we are obviously, you know, being on The Voice of Islam and The Drive Time Show, very islam centric yeah right. we're, we're viewing things through the prism of islam and being you know muslims mm-hmm. but this isn't just necessarily the domain or this understanding that uh, science and religion go hand in hand mm-hmm. the domain of uh, islam right. uh, just to quote from religion comes a man's purpose from science his power to achieve it sometimes people ask if religion and science are not opposed to one another they they are in the sense that the thumb and fingers of my hand are opposed to one another. It is an opposition by means of which anything can be grasped. Beautiful. Beautiful. So now, these are the words of the late uh, William H. Bragg, who is a British physicist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to speak more regarding this, uh, we are now joined by uh, our next guest of the day, Imam Wasid Tariq. Peace and blessings be upon you, Imam Wasid. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Assalamu alaikum Yes, thank you. Peace and blessings be upon you. So we're talking about atheism today. Uh, what importance do faith and religion hold for believers in their daily lives, uh, especially you know in the modern day where we find ourselves? Well, I think faith and religion hold a great importance for believers in their daily lives, um, even today. Religion provides a framework for ethical and moral values Mm -hmm. that guide the actions of individuals and help them lead a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. So for for Amli Muslims, for example, faith is not only a personal matter. You know, it is a a long-term solution to a better society. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, for example, the major foundation stone of any society is family. How this family is defined, how the relationships in this family are organized, are mostly dictated by religions, in a way, or, or not dictated, but um, explained. Guided. Uh, or guided by, by religion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the, the foundation zone of families, um, no matter how we want to run away from, from this concept, mm-hmm. especially in Northern Europe, or in other Western countries, mm-hmm. you you cannot run away from it. You know right. there, there is this need of 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 constantly following up, um, making your decisions based on morality, and um, on um, on what you believe is right. That has been taught to you by, mm-hmm. for example, your parents or your family surroundings. Right. right. So we we'll see. Um how serious are the consequences of negative media representation of, uh, you know, religion, especially Islam? We see all the time in the media that, you know, uh, it is uh, negative things are said uh, for, for, the, for Islam. So how does it lead to, uh, you know, misinformation? 
You know, it, it often leads uh, to, to misinformation and promotes negative stereotypes that can fuel um, discrimination and hatred towards religious communities. You mm-hmm. know, uh, silence at the wrong point, uh, wrong time, mm-hmm. or um, just just copying some some prejudice or highlighting uh, some stereotypes um, obviously are not going to be very fruitful for um, you know for for a better society for a more peaceful coexistence of different religions and uh, you know the press and media um, they they have a very important role in and are one of the the main instruments of the liberties we believe to have in, um, in in many countries and it has been uh, very much an important has been uh, it has a very important aspect in our social lives mm-hmm. but media has played also a very very dangerous role in uh, destroying the lives of uh, you know a few too many mm-hmm. mm. so imam wasi you're in italy I mean, does the head of the church's residence and influence in the Vatican, uh, the Pope, affect people's view of Islam? I mean, if so, in what ways? Well, I, I don't think uh, there, there has been um, a direct uh, impact on, um, on, for example, Pope Francis's uh, view of Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, as such, the thing is, uh, obviously, Pope Francis has uh, now um, a very um, interesting approach towards uh, dialogue mm-hmm. uh, with Muslims. Um, we, we know about the Abu Dhabi uh, contract and um, all all the different um, efforts that the Vatican is, is doing in making this. But, you know, it's, it's sometimes um, you, historically... Historically, it was actually Islam who made the first step you know, mm-hmm. by the Quranic verse that uh, invited the people of the book to come on uh, common grounds, mm-hmm. which had been at that time not accepted and uh, by by the churches and by, by the Roman uh, Catholic Church. And now when so much blood has been shed historically and negative uh, literature and mindsets have said, now for them coming out and and you know showing that oh we are the ones who are making now an approach towards islam mm-hmm. is, uh, is is a little bit you know historically uh, incorrect inaccurate. yeah mm-hmm. incorrect and um that, that that's the thing you know it it, it obviously it, it it is a heartwarming for for the very faithful christian believer it's uh, it's really a big step um you know and heartwarming step that the church is making this move but then, in the end, you know, it, um, any any collaboration and coordination should be on on equal basis. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't be that you know someone has uh, has the moral superiority mm-hmm. and now is reaching out his hands to the other. Mm. But I suppose, uh, Imam Masi, that you know, uh, being a Muslim, um, you know, one of the attributes is compassion, right? Um, and I suppose this reaching out. And uh, you know you're correct historically. Um, you know it is incorrect to say that the Roman Catholic Church were the first to reach out. But regardless, um, it's it's better uh, that they are actually reaching out now. 
as opposed to just being kind of like fences up and we're not really having any debate whatsoever with the Muslim world. Yeah, well, I think that that's also an Islamic teaching, you know, mm-hmm. and it is based in the Holy Quran that if someone reaches out even after he has done a lot of damage to you uh, mm-hmm. in the past, but when he makes the next step to towards peace, uh, then you should just accept that immediately mm-hmm. without hesitation and trust in God. Mm. So, so the thing is, it, it's not the point is not in in highlighting um, who got there first. The, uh, <laughs> yes, who, who, who went first? Mm. Uh, the important fact is how fruitful and long lasting mm-hmm. this could go. Yeah, exactly. You know, if the, if the basis of this uh, dialogue are, are corrected um, within the Catholic Church, for example, you know, Pope, Pope Francis is. Uh, has uh, also opposition within his own church in mm. in his steps towards mm-hmm. the dialogue. Mm-hmm. 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 So, Imam, see, you know, um, what are some of the benefits of uh, of the guidance and support offered by a religion, such as in terms of you know mental health, especially in the, this, especially in the COVID and after COVID, and especially you know uh, we are struggling uh, as a world as well, and as a UK as well, uh, financially as well. So, what are the the benefit of religion and you know the guidance which it, which it, it provides? You know, religious uh, communities, as such, uh, from a more organizative uh, perspective, can provide a support network for individuals going through difficult times, offering comfort, guidance, and encouragement. Um, Additionally, you know, the emphasis on charity and community service mm-hmm. in many religious traditions can uh, provide individuals with a sense of uh, fulfillment and purpose, you know, leading to, to greater overall well-being. But then um, also uh, what, what comes into light is, uh, you know, a relationship with, with God, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, our, our, our Creator according to Islamic theology, um, all peace and rest and uh, happiness lies in uh, remembering Allah, our Creator. Um, and uh, th- this is a relationship that uh, the, the, the Ahmadi Muslim works a lot in through through prayers, not as a practice of uh, meditation, but as a journey towards God. Mm-hmm. Mm, exactly. Very well said, Imam Wasi. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for spending some time with us this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. 0208-687-7878. And um, in terms of, you know, that, that's that's how we are nowadays, I suppose, Imran. Mm-hmm. You know, not just in the UK, but globally, that, you know, there are polar opposites, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we're talking about the subject of atheism. So you're either you know, a fully in believer or you're not a fully atheist. Mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be, I suppose, in society, a middle ground mm-hmm. whereby you can have you know, an open debate, an open discussion. You know, It's always you're trying to get at me, right? <laughs> and I'm trying to protect my position. Um, and you know, this is you know, illustrated by exactly what... Uh, Imam Wasi was I like saying regarding the Roman Catholic Church. Ultimately, I suppose if you are a true believer, um, a true agnostic, that you don't really care as to how you've got to the table, 
to have mm-hmm. that discussion. Mm-hmm. As long as, and I think Imran Rossi was like saying, right. that you're there for a long time and having a fruitful mm-hmm. uh, debate, right? Uh, because at least then that means that you're at the table and you're not in opposing camps, really, mm-hmm. right? Now, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings uh, be upon him, has told us that the differences of opinion are a blessing. Mm-hmm. Why would he say that? I submit that it is because we stand to learn about others' beliefs and even our own beliefs. When confronted by those who hold different views, sometimes we don't truly understand why we hold a certain belief until challenged by that opposing view. There is much for us to gain by these people who draw a spotlight on the hypocrisy, harm, violence and intolerance of some religious people. So let us not disregard those differences of opinion. Mm -hmm. They too cannot prove that God does not exist, nor can they prove that heaven and hell do not exist and that there is no afterlife. After beginning with logic, they then have to go on faith. This is how humans are built. Reason and logic can get us to a point and then the rest is put on faith. Now, this is an extract out of Atheism, The Biggest Challenge uh, of Our Times and Its Remedies by Haris Rahman Zafir. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in that statement, you know, we see, I suppose, the simplicity of it all, right? That ultimately where we are in our lives in terms of science will only get us there to a certain point. Mm -hmm. And then... It is, you know, you have those expressions, Imran, a leap of faith, blind faith, yeah. And it is, I suppose, true Mm -hmm. because it's not blindness in the sense that, right, okay, I don't care. uh, I'm just going to believe in it regardless. And, you you know, I think you you were relating earlier on when we were talking about the misrepresentation of uh, religion Mm -hmm. and uh, some jihadists, we'll call them, right? or uh, what they believe to be Muslims in Mm. Pakistan, Mm -hmm. when asked to actually, and this is one of the pillars of Islam, Mm -hmm. right, is to have the declaration of faith, Faith, right? And they didn't even know what that was. Mm -hmm. So this is the questioning. So, you know, if you are a true believer, um, whatever religion, right, you understand your articles of faith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. True, true, absolutely. Uh, And then thereby, when questioned upon them, Mm -hmm. you are that defender, Absolutely. right? Yes. So just to, you know, elaborate on this point, um, you, you talked about uh, common ground between the, you know, people who are uh, religious and the atheist. Mm-hmm. So um, I I was reading um, an extract from the writing of the second caliph, and uh, I thought, why not should I present uh, that asterisk, yeah, uh, that, you know, writing uh, in the show? And actually, actually, he's um, commenting on one of the verses of the Holy Quran through which you can, if you have a sincere heart, mm-hmm. and if you believe that you know there is a God, you, through this method you can find a true God. Mm-hmm. So there is a verse of the Holy Quran that, and for those who strive in our path, we will surely guide them in our ways. So the Arabic is jahadu subulana. And on commenting this verse, the second um, head of the second caliph, Hamdi Muslim community. He states, hence if, hence, if in the hearts of some people there is a sincere desire to discover the truth, they ought to fall prostrate before God in prayers with full fever and beseech him in the following terms, O God, if indeed you exist, 
And if, as those who believe in you say, then you are possessed of infinitive power, then have mercy on me and guide me to yourself and fill my heart with faith and belief so that I may not be left deprived. Azu states, if someone adopts this course with a pure heart for at least 40 days, then no matter which religion or community that individual belongs to, maybe he can, he can be atheist, Azu says, the Lord of all the you know worlds will certainly guide them mm-hmm. and they will quickly see God manifest in his existence in a manner that will cleanse the filth of doubt and suspicion from the heart. It is a quite clear that that you know uh, there can be no deception in the, in this matter of finding a resolution. Mm, exactly. So through prayer, yeah. Uh, through prayer. I mean, in the direst situations, instead of logic, it is faith and comfort. Uh, it is faith and the comfort it provides us that helps people hold on to to, to hold on to hope mm-hmm. and survive in those dire circumstances. I mean, the Quran, the Holy Quran, says. He who believes in Allah and the last day, and he who fears Allah, he will make for him a way out. So this is chapter 65, verse 3. And, you know, with that, we end uh, Monday's Drive Time show. Uh, big thanks to our producers, Zainib Fatima, Sona Atwal, and Baria Nasir. A big thank you to my co-host, uh, Imam Imran Ekram, and also to our backroom staff, uh, in there today, our stalwart, our rock, <laughs> Habib. So, uh, and myself, I uh, thank you, all our listeners. This was Monday's uh, Drive Time Show. <laughs>